Well, grab your Bible, turn with me to, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. If you are a, a guest with us, you're just joining us for the first time. Um, we've been in a series that we've called Meals with Jesus, hence the dining table up here. Uh, this isn't here every week if you are a guest with us. This is connected to our series. And what we've been doing is we've been following along in the Gospel of Luke, and we've been zooming in on stories where Jesus connected with people around a meal, and he did a lot of teaching about himself uh, while he shared food with people. And if this is your first week, I recommend going back and listening to previous messages. Uh, it's been a wonderful series together. I also want to take a minute and acknowledge, and I know some of you are here in this service, um, all of the artists that participated in this series. If you walk out, uh, you'll see artwork along the wall by the, by the cafe. And, and these are artists in our community who offered their gifts in response to some of the texts that we've been reading. And it is beautiful. If you go out there, just take a look. Can we give them a hand for just using their gifts really as an act of worship? Uh, it's really cool. And I want to thank uh, Kenneth, who was hiding in the drum cage today, but um, our worship director, we're going to sing a song, I believe, at the end of service. It's a song that he wrote. And, uh, and is producing, and it'll be available, I think, on Spot, Spotify, all those things that you can do music on. Uh, it's a great song. It communicates the heart of God. So I'm just proud of him and thankful for him using his gifts to worship the Lord. Uh, I'm a little sad the series is ending, but I'm, I'm grateful for what the Lord has been stirring up inside of us, because I, I, I just marvel at this image of the God of the universe putting on flesh, and showing up in homes for a barbecue. Like that image itself is so profound and so powerful that, that God himself would show up and share a meal with, with people. And the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're, they're such a gift to us. Because if you've ever wondered, what is God like? What does he care about? What's important to him? We don't have to wonder. Jesus perfectly demonstrated the heart of God to the world. And so we dive into the gospel accounts and we discover who our God is and what's important to him and, and where he wants to lead us. And this is the good news, the gospel message, that God himself stepped into our world. He didn't wait for us to kind of get our lives figured out. He didn't wait for us to kind of button things up and get all perfect for him. He came into a messy world dare I say, your messy life and my messy life in love for us with grace and forgiveness and calls us to himself. This is the good news. It's the power of the gospel. And it's been God's desire from the very beginning of time to walk with us and to show us who he is and that we would trust him and believe that he's our provider and the one who can give us everything that we need. This morning I want to read together a final meal that followed the resurrection of Jesus. And it's one of my favorite stories because it, it doesn't only reveal uh, how God pursues us, it reveals uh, the very real human struggle that we all have in trusting that that's true. That he really did come and walk amongst us. That he really did accomplish supernatural things in our midst. Luke chapter 24, uh, starting in verse... 13, we'll read. The context is the resurrection's happened. Jesus was crucified on a cross. He was put into a tomb. Three days later, 
He's not in the tomb anymore, and the news is beginning to spread that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and people are a little bit confused because normally you put somebody in a tomb and they don't walk out again. And so they're like, is this real? I know that he talked about this, but are we sure? Do we believe in this type of thing? They're, they're working this out. And, and at the end of Luke 24, there's a couple of disciples. They're trying to sort this out. Here's the text. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. So two, two disciples uh, identify their followers of Jesus. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're walking away from where everything happened. And they're thinking through all of the experiences that they just had with Jesus. Again, his death, his resurrection, the life that they lived with him, maybe some meals they shared with him. It was Resurrection Sunday. They're leaving Jerusalem, and they're trying to put the pieces together. Because they had spent three years of their life following and learning from Jesus. But they didn't know how to process his death. And they didn't know how to process, is he really alive? And it's, it's difficult to appreciate the turmoil in the story because we know the end of the story. We have the gift of reading to the end and knowing how it all plays out. These guys didn't have that. They're still like, they're still a little turned on their heads. They're still not knowing exactly how it all plays out. Now, picture it this way. Imagine that you go to your work tomorrow, wherever that work is. And, and imagine you're at work, or maybe you're just at home. Picture yourself in your home. And you're going about your day, and, and, and your neighbor comes over, or somebody in your workplace, a coworker, says, man, did you hear about what happened last night down at City Beach? This guy came, his, his name is Jesus, and, and these miraculous things happened. Like, uh, the town showed up, and, and he fed everybody with nothing. It was, it was amazing. And then this, these lame and blind and sick people were coming to Jesus, and their lives were being changed, and they were leaving completely different. Did you hear about this? And of course, if this really happened today, you'd be like, uh, what? Uh, come again? <laughs> Like, t tell me more, and as you lean in, you're like, where, okay, where do I find this guy? How can I kind of witness this for myself? And as you say that, let's say the door to your house opens, or the door to your business opens, and in walks Jesus. And imagine that he walks right up to you, and he calls you by name, and he says, hey, Alex, come follow me. And you're like, Yep. And you leave your house or you leave your workplace and as you're walking out of your workplace, you give peace to your boss and say, I'm out. I'm, I'm just done. Today's it. And you walk out the door and for three years of your life, everything about what you do is connected to the person of Jesus. You eat with Jesus. You travel with Jesus. You try to find somewhere to sleep with with Jesus, you're following him around. He is everything to you. And then, three years in, you watch the one that you left everything behind for get brutally beaten, tortured, and killed, and put in a grave. 
And then there's these rumblings that he's alive again, but you don't see him anymore. And so everything that you knew was left behind, your social circles, your friendships, your work, you left it all behind to follow Jesus, but he's no longer there in front of you. This is what's going on with the disciples. They're going, how does this, how does this work out? What are we supposed to do now? Continuing in verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. And then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked them. This is just priceless, right? Priceless. Jesus, resurrected from the grave, somehow remains incognito and shows up with them on their journey. He's literally walking with them. And he says, hey guys, what's going on? How's it going? And they're like, what, what do you mean, what's going on? Mind you, this is the God of the universe they're talking to. They're like, what, what do you mean? Are you, you must be an idiot to not know what has happened in Jerusalem. How could you, what, you've been living under a rock? He's like, I don't, I guess. Tell me more. What, the, what things? What are you talking about? I don't know what's happening. And so they proceed to teach Jesus a few things about the life of Jesus. Are you tracking with me? This is the story. Continuing in verse 19. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said he was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel, this all happened three days ago. In that, in that last verse, verse 21, it gives us insight into how these disciples were really feeling. They had hoped that he was the Messiah. Meaning they were fully expecting that Jesus was going to come and, and, and as he began to do the miraculous things, as he began to feed the masses, as he began to heal people, they were thinking this is the guy that is going to take out our oppressors. This is the guy that's going to save us from all of the people that have just been holding us under their thumb. This is the guy that's going to completely change the way we exist on this planet. He really is the Messiah. They had started to believe that that was true, and then they nailed him to a cross and put him in a grave. They're a little confused by that. They continue. Then, then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. And they had seen angels who told them, Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. Now I just, <laughs> I picture... Jesus listening intently as they're telling the story. This, this guy, Jesus, he was a prophet. 
Yeah. This guy, Jesus, he was an incredible teacher. True. <laughs> this guy, Jesus, they crucified him. <sighs> True. <laughs> Brutal. This guy, Jesus, he's not in the grave anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just imagine, imagine Jesus listening in on this conversation. The disciples, they had all of the pieces. They, they literally knew the entire, they were able to tell the entire story, but they still were not able to connect the dots. They still were not able to see how that would, would change their life. And Jesus responds to them in verse 25. So then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. <laughs> you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. So just imagine they're walking along. It's a seven-mile journey. It'd take a little while. And, and on this journey he begins to unpack for them the entirety of the scriptures and how it all points to him. When I read verse 27, this is the moment that I'm fully expecting the light bulb to go off. Like, oh, now I get it. After he chastises them for the lack of belief, he explains to them how it all makes sense, but no light bulb comes on. No light bulb comes on. And the story continues, which this brings us to our meal. If you're wondering, like, where's the meal in this? Here it is. Here's the meal. Verse 28. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey, and Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us, since it is getting late. So he went home with them, and they sat down to eat. He took the bread and blessed it, and then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. <laughs> they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. This story is, is a, just such a great story, right? It's, it's so powerful. Here's, here's a couple of observations about this story. Uh, first, faith is not built only on experience. I'm going to explain what I mean. Have you ever thought to yourself at any point in your life, God, if you would just part the clouds and float on down here and show up in the middle of my circumstance and change it, I would not question you again. Anybody ever, anybody ever considered that? That, God, if you would just do the miraculous right in front of me, I would have zero reason to question your goodness and your presence and your love. I think everybody at different points in their life 
has that kind of desire, especially when you're in the darkness or you're in pain or you're in suffering. God, if you just would, then I would not question, I wouldn't falter. I've thought this many times over. God, if you would just change my circumstance, everything would change. Would it, though? Would it change? Would the experience really be enough? Here's why I ask. Because the two disciples that are leaving Jerusalem, they got the chance to walk with Jesus for three years and experience supernatural thing after supernatural thing after supernatural thing after supernatural thing. If you could press a button and go back and be a part of one of those experiences, wouldn't you go? Like the feeding of the 5,000, like just, I want to be there. Or when he's healing the blind, or when he's raising the dead, you just want to be a part of that experience. And there's part of our brains that go, if I just saw what they saw, then I would totally be all in and I would have the most faith in the world. Would we though? Because these guys are leaving Jerusalem after all of those experiences and they still can't put the pieces together. There are not too many experiences that top walking with Jesus. Yet when it's all said and done, they're leaving Jerusalem confused about what it means for them. They had great experiences, but their faith it was still faltering. Now let's be real. Uh, who doesn't love a great experience? We love great experiences. In fact, our, our culture is built on competing and offering the best experiences. That's that's kind of the world that we live in. You want to be able to give the best food if you are a restaurant owner and you want to go on the best vacation, you want to have the best cars and the best products and we pay good money to have the best experiences and there's nothing wrong. Don't hear me saying that there's something wrong with having a good experience. I hope you have amazing experiences in your life. But we can get lost trying to relive past experiences you with me? Or, or trying to chase after some future experience that's going to change our life and not be present in our life experiencing God and His goodness. We can get stuck here or we can be hoping that it'll change out there and we miss God in the middle of it all. These early followers, they experienced great stuff, but they still were leaving Jerusalem. Experience wasn't enough. Second observation. Faith is not built only on teaching. This is unnerving to say as somebody who's committed their life to teaching the scriptures, but it's still true. Our faith is not built only on teaching. And here's how I know. Back in the story, the two disciples, they retell what happens, they tell the story to Jesus. And then verse 27 and 28 is Jesus teaching them everything from Moses and the prophets, everything pointing to him. If you could pick someone to teach you about God, God is not a bad choice. I mean, he's probably going to be the best at teaching about himself. The God of all creation connects the dots for them concerning himself, and their response is, the end of the story, well, we're home. 
And it says that Jesus was acting like he was going to keep going. So there's a complete disconnect. Like, wow, cool story, bro. See ya. These guys not only had miraculous experiences, but they had heard the best teaching known to man, and they still were not getting it. If I think about it, which I have a lot the last couple of weeks, it makes me chuckle because this seems to be playing out in Christianity over and over and over again, right? There's some segments of the Christian faith that get up and they pound the pulpit. And they say, it's all about the teaching. You have to understand this correctly. You have to have the right doctrine. You have to know the right words. You have to be in alignment with everything that we say and do. You don't want to be led astray. Don't let anybody take you off into... We've got to teach the Word of God. We've got to protect the Word of God. I'm not against these things. Let me just continue. Because on, on another side, there, there's part of our Christian expression that's maybe a little bit less interested in the teaching. And, and they're very interested in the experience. Just come and be a part of a culture or a, an experience with God. And if you just let go, and then you'll know Him. Because... And we build these amazing worship ministries and experiences that you just encounter the presence of, of God. And both, both, hear me, both have places in our faith journey. Teaching is incredibly important as a part of building our faith. And experiences with God are incredibly important. But these things alone are not enough. And we can't highlight one or the other as the thing that's going to anchor our faith. Have you ever known somebody who knows the Bible incredibly well, but, no, but looks nothing like Jesus? Don't say any names out loud. <laughs> it's easy to get focused on these. Back to the story in Luke. It wasn't great experiences. It wasn't just incredible preaching. The last point is faith is built on recognizing the presence of Jesus. The text says they went home with them and they sat down to eat. And Jesus had walked with them enough. Jesus knew their story. He knew everything that they were working out. And he presented himself in a way by breaking bread with them that the light bulb would go off and they recognized it was Jesus. Jesus was here. Jesus is, is with us. They recognized the presence of Jesus among them. And as soon as that became clear, he's gone. <laughs> Just funny to me. Uh, apparently his work with these guys was, was done, and the resurrected body is not kind of held to the same standards as the rest of creation. <laughs> and so he just disappears. He ends up showing up later with them. But the disciples, they realize he was with us all along. That was, didn't you, didn't your heart burn when we were walking along and he was teaching us? They began to see, actually, he was the one that was present with us all along. So not only did they recognize him at the meal, they began to recognize it is Jesus. He's been with us. 
and the hope that they had lost, the hope that, that they'd left behind, that they were trying to figure out, what do we do now? It was found again, recognizing Jesus was with them. Worship team, you guys can, can join me. Here, here's what this meal today reveals about Jesus from, from my perspective. And my perspective is limited, by the way. You might have a better perspective, but here's mine. Whatever direction you are walking in this life, whether you're walking towards Jesus are you wanting to know Jesus? Are you wanting to figure out Jesus? Or you're walking away from Jesus? And you're uninterested. Or you're confused. Or you've had some bad experiences and you feel like I'm out. Whatever direction you're walking, in, in all of your learning and understanding and misunderstanding, Jesus has been very near. He is with you. Again, this is the good news. God came to be with us. This is the story in the Garden of Eden. God was with them. This is what God was trying to do from the very beginning of time. Help his people understand, listen, I want to be with you. So in all of our questions and concerns and frustrations, whatever confusion there may be in our lives from good or bad experiences, whatever that is, God's desire is that you would know Him, that you would trust that He actually is with you, that He's for you, that He's in your life. He wants, the beautiful thing about this story, He wants to connect the dots for you and for me. <laughs> he wants it to make sense. He, he wants to teach us about who He is. And more importantly, he wants to show up in our life in a way where the light bulb goes off and we go, that was him, and he's here. And that might be very different for you sitting over here than for you sitting over here. But God is so intentional about coming to us in a way that we understand that's why he put on human flesh. Because he wants us to grasp who he is. He wants us to know him and to trust him. What's beautiful about gathering, in fact, why don't you stand to your feet as we close. This is amazing. This is truly amazing. What's beautiful about gathering like this is that when Jesus left, he had made a promise, I'm going to send my spirit. So here, presence. In the Old Testament, God was with him in the garden then he, he made a way to be present in their camp, in the, in the tabernacle, which ended up being in the temple. And then God himself was present and he walked amongst us. But when he left, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you a helper and a comforter, my presence. And where is that presence going to dwell? Inside of you. So, when we gather in the name of Jesus... His presence is here because He dwells within us. And then you read these texts from Paul that talk about we're the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ. 
So when we get together and we give each other a hug and we encourage one another and we share with one another and we extend grace and forgiveness to one another, you want to know what we're doing? We're experiencing the presence and grace of God in real time. He's revealing who he is constantly because he loves you and he wants to guide you and walk with you. And you may think there's so many things that disqualify me from this story. There's so many things that there's many reasons why I should not be here or why he should not talk to me. I can give you a list. And Jesus would look at you and say, huh, well, I've taken care of that as well. All your wrongdoing, I know about that. But I love you enough, I'll take that on me. You don't have to carry that condemnation. You don't have to carry that shame. You don't have to carry that, that guilt anymore. Surrender it to me. And trust that I, I love you. Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning, we're, we're humbled by this story. We're humbled by who you are. That you, you truly, as Philippians says, you didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped, but you humbled yourself, taking on the form of a servant. You walked amongst us. You showed us your heart. And there's so many ways we can confuse and, and misunderstand who you are, but I, Lord, I ask this morning, that we would take a step of trust in believing that you see us and that you know us and that you've provided for us and that you want to walk with us and teach us who you are today. And if you're here this morning and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he's extending the invitation. And, and maybe on our end, sometimes it's like the disciples inviting Jesus into their home for them to understand who he really is. Maybe today we just need to say, I invite you in. I don't get it yet, but I want to know. Uh, give us hearts to receive what you have. Give us uh, eyes to see. Would the scales fall off and would we recognize who you are today? We pray this in your name. Amen.